Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can enter into your presence, starting our day out on the right foot. Father, as we sit at your feet in this family worship time, Invite the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit to rest upon this place. Father, we ask that the Spirit will take the words that are spoken and apply them in our hearts right where they need to be. And may we leave this place having been drawn closer to Jesus. For it's in His name that we ask these things. Amen. It was a routine day. Staff Sergeant Brian McQueen was at the end of his tour in Afghanistan. He was going around his usual responsibilities that started with an early morning security briefing. This was something that happened on a regular basis. And as McQueen was walking to the place where this meeting was to be held, he all of a sudden heard something that he had not heard in that context before on the way to that meeting, and it was the sound of machine gun fire. Usually this was a pretty safe place, as far as a safe place can go in the battlefield, It was a meeting between the Afghan soldiers and the American soldiers, and so it was heavily guarded. The sound of machine gun fire rang out, and before he knew it, he felt what he described later was like getting kicked in the back of the head by a horse. He fell down flat on his face, and moments later, he was back up again on his feet. He later found out that there were two rogue Afghan police officers who had planned this attack, and he had been hit by a truck-mounted machine gun on the back of the head. Fortunately, for Staff Sergeant Brian McQueen, even though it was a routine day, he had his helmet on. He later said about this incident, before this incident, I thought the helmet was cumbersome and an overkill. He went on to say, this helmet works, and I'm a living testimony to it. The Lord has given us armor. And although I have never worn physical armor, I can only imagine that it's probably not the most comfortable piece of clothing to wear. We like our cottons and polyesters, don't we? But we have to remember as we studied together yesterday that we are not civilians. We are soldiers. And as soldiers going into battle, we must be properly equipped. And what stands out to me in the story is that Staff Sergeant Brian McQueen, 
even though it was a routine operation that they were going to, he had his armor on. What have happened if that what would have happened if that morning he woke up and he said, I'm in Afghanistan, it's too hot to wear a helmet. I've never been shot at before going to this meeting. You see, he didn't forget that although many days before it was a peaceful travel to that meeting, he did not forget that he was in war. As God's children, we must not forget the Bible does not describe a wartime part of life and a non-wartime part of life. It simply describes that we are in war. <clears throat> and I wish I had had time to go through each element of the armor of God, but I will leave that to your personal study. However, this morning, if you would go with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, we are going to look at one of these things in our time together this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul has already told the church of Ephesus that as soldiers they must have strong hearts, courageous hearts, and put on the whole armor of God. But then he says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's interesting, as you look at the armor of God, all the different elements that Paul describes here are all to protect the soldier. There is only one thing that we are given to defend ourselves, and that is the sword of the Spirit. In the book, The Armor of Righteousness, Taylor Bunch makes this statement on page 86. He says, the most effective fighters in the army of Prince Emmanuel are the men and women who have the best knowledge of the Scriptures and whose faith and confidence in them is unquestioned. Who are the most effective fighters in the army of Prince Emmanuel? Those who have a best knowledge of Scripture. This is your weapon. God is not sending you into battle just merely to stand there and get shot at. There is an enemy that is to be conquered, and God has given you an efficient weapon to fight with. But the question is, how is your knowledge and skill in the use of this weapon? Christian Experiences, page 116, the servant of the Lord says this, the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit, and you should become skillful. You should become what? Skillful in its use if you would cut your way through the host of opposition and darkness. She also talks about how we use the sword of the Spirit to cut through the entanglements of sin. You must become skillful in its use. Aren't you thankful for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting? This is a place where you can become skillful in the use of the sword of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you will not take these days here at Camp Meeting as just a social gathering. It's nice to have the reunions. 
It's nice to have the potlucks. It's nice to have the side conversations. But we are here for a purpose. And that is to be equipped to go from this place as efficient soldiers in the army of Prince Emmanuel. The ancient Japanese samurai fighters would begin their training with the samurai sword, the katana, starting at the age of three. They would put a little wooden sword in the hand of that child to teach them how to wield the sword. It has been said that when a baby samurai was about to be born, that they would bring the katana into the delivery room. They would lay it next to the child after it was born. After the ancient samurai warriors came to the time when they would die, they would bring the katana and they would lay it next to the samurai warrior as he breathed his last breath. Yes, the samurai fighters were skillful with many weapons, but there was one weapon that they would never be found without, and that was the katana. In fact, they would carry three swords with them. When they came into a house, they would take their long sword, they would take it off, but they always had a short sword with them no matter what, because they never knew when the enemy would attack. Contrary to Hollywood, the aim of the samurai fighter was not to have a sword fight, to brandish his skills as a swordman. The purpose of the, uh, the samurai fighter when he came into battle was to kill the enemy as quickly as possible. That was the purpose. In as few blows as possible, he wanted to destroy the enemy. And sometimes I wonder if we would rather have a sword fight with the enemy than kill him. Are we skillful with the sword? It's interesting to me, as I researched this out, I found that the katana blade was designed in such a way that a skillful samurai could very easily decapitate his enemy with one blow, bringing it all to an end. But it's interesting to me, as I meditate on this, do you think that the samurai fighter became skillful with the use of the sword just by looking at it and holding it for 10 or 15 minutes a day? Do you think he became skillful in the use of the katana blade by watching other people and reading books about it? The Japanese samurai fighters became skillful with the sword, listen to me carefully, because they spent time with it. Every day they were spending time with the sword. They held it. They wielded it. They used it. They practiced with it. Day after day after day after day. And when they were brought into battle, they were skillful warriors and greatly feared. Brothers and sisters, we need to be spiritual samurais. Amen? Great Controversy, page 599, says this. We should day by day 
study the Bible diligently. What is the word? Diligently weighing every thought and comparing Scripture with Scripture. How should we study the Bible? Diligently. How often should we do it? Day by day. Listen, there's no way around this. And you're going to have to forgive me if I'm saying things that you've already heard, but the obvious must be stated. The most effective way for us to become spiritual swordsmen is to spend time with the sword. Plain and simple. Not reading what other people have to say about the sword. Not listening to what other people think the sword has to say. Now listen, it's great to have good theological reading. The ABC is full of it and I encourage it. It's great to listen to good sermons that other people are preaching. But brothers and sisters, you're not going to become a skillful swordsman that way. You have to pick it up and read it. Study it. Get familiar with it. Hold it. Touch it. Use it. Practice with it. If you're going to become skillful in this war that we are fighting. According to the American Bible Society, 9 out of 10 American households have Bibles. 87% of Americans have a Bible in their home. The average is three. Three Bibles. For Adventists, it's more like 30. (laughs) We like to collect our Bibles, don't we? According to one study, now that's just Americans in general, but according to another study in Christianity Today, 19% of Christians, how many? Read their Bible every day. How many? 19% of Christians read their Bible every day. You know, I think we sometimes treat the Bible like exercise. We know it's good for us. We know we need to do it every day. But we'd rather have another bag of potato chips. Right? 19% of Christians are reading their Bible every day. Now, I know the temptation is... For us as Seventh-day Adventists to kind of sit back a little smugly and say, well, that's the evangelicals. But listen, friends, studies reveal that Adventists, uh, sadly to say, we oftentimes follow the trends. And I think it's revealed that our lack of time in the Word of God is revealed in the way we treat one another. Because if you are spending time with the spiritual katana, it changes your DNA. It changes who you are. It changes how you relate to other people. Remembering that people are not the problem, but Satan instigating those problems. According to surveys that have been done, what do you suppose the number one excuse is for not spending time in the Bible? Not enough time. You hit the nail right on the head, probably because you've used that excuse just like me. Right? I'm too busy. Let's face it. Life is busy, especially when you're a parent or a grandparent taking care of your grandkids. Life is busy. I'll give that to you. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. It's a lame excuse. Somebody ought to say amen to that. It's a lame excuse. 
to say, I'm too busy to spend time in God's Word. You know, the reality of it is, we have time. Every one of us have been given 24 hours in a day. We have time, and it's how you decide to use that time. And if something is important to you, you will invest time in that, right? If family is important, what are you going to do? You're going to spend time with your family. If staying fit is important to you, what are you going to do? Sign up for the 5K, right? If getting good grades in school is important to you, what are you going to do? You're going to study. You're going to spend time, invest time in studying. If watching TV is important to you, what are you going to do? You're going to sit down and waste your time watching television. We have time for what we want. We have to stop using this excuse that we don't have time. There's no way that we're going to become spiritual Semites on 10 or 15 minutes a day. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. There's no way that we're going to become spiritual Semites by reading a passage or two in the morning before we hurry on throughout the door to our busy day. There's no way that we're going to become spiritual Semites if we're just listening to a sermon on our way to work in the morning. There's no way that you're going to become a spiritual Semite if you're just reading commentaries about what other people say they think the Bible means. The only way that you're going to become effective in the sword of the Spirit is by spending time with it. Somehow I find it interesting that we have time to keep up with the Joneses on Facebook. The average person spends about an hour a day on Facebook. We have time to keep up with the latest gossip going on in the local church and in the world church. You've heard that, haven't you? We have time to watch the latest episode of whatever reality TV is trending at the time. Yet we use the excuse, I don't have time. Did you know that in the time that it takes you to watch a movie, and I hope that nobody here does this, but in the time that it takes somebody to watch a movie, you could read through the Gospel of Matthew and the book of Acts and about a dozen other books of the Bible. What's a better use of your time? Now, I know it's nice to shut our brains off and veg out in front of the television, brothers and sisters, that's a spiritual war in and of itself. Did you know that in the time that it takes you to sit down and watch the evening news, that you could read the book of Nehemiah or the book of Hebrews? We have to start thinking differently. We have to start viewing life through a different lens. We are not living in a time of peace. We're not here to entertain ourselves. We're not here to make life comfortable. We are soldiers in an army that are sailing on a battleship. Time that is lost in sports, social media, and the like is a shame. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you need to be sitting down reading the Bible all day long every day. The Bible tells us, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. 
God wants us to work. He wants us to engage in other things. Now, it may be good every now and then to have a spiritual retreat where you just immerse yourself all day long in the study of God's Word. But God has other things for us to do. He wants us to have a balanced life. But He wants us to spend significant time with Him in His Word. And only you and the Lord can work out how long that time needs to be. But there needs to be that time. If we're going to just be all honest here this morning and bear our souls, the reason why we don't spend time with the Bible is because it's not a priority. And the lack of our spending time in the Bible, this is what happens. This is from the Great Controversy, page 600. It says this, Temptations often appear irresistible because, because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the tempted one cannot readily remember what? God's promises and meet Satan with the Scripture weapon. Why do temptations appear irresistible? Because of a neglect of the Bible and prayer. You see, if we're neglecting our study of God's Word, we cannot meet the temptations of the enemy with the, what she calls the promises of God. The Scripture weapon is what she calls it. John Bunyan once said, the great author who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said, this book, referring to the Bible, this book will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. If you forget everything I said this morning, don't forget that one line. This book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. Let's face it. In the Garden of Eden, it all began with the authority of God's Word. And then you fast forward about 4,000 years or so to the time of Christ, and we find Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And you know this story very well. He comes to Jesus and he tempts him to turn the stones into bread to satisfy his longing for food. And Jesus meets Satan's temptation with those three words. What are they? It is written. He met Satan with the Scripture weapon, as Ellen White calls it, which I like. Now listen to this. This is from Desire of Ages, page 120. It says this, talking about the time of Jesus' temptation. She says, in every temptation, the weapon of his warfare was the Word of God. So long as Christ held this position, what position? Using the word of God, this position, the tempter, listen, the tempter could not gain advantage. He could gain no advantage as long as Jesus held that position of the word of God being his defense. Satan was vanquished. She goes on to say on page 123, she says, By what means did he, Jesus, overcome in the conflict with Satan? By the word of God. 
Only by the word could he, the son of God, the creator of the world, the redeemer of humanity, only by the word of God could he resist temptation. Brothers and sisters, do we think that we're going to go about this in a different way? Do you think that somehow we can improve on what the son of God did? Do you think that there's some sort of easier way around this that we can controvert the temptations of Satan? Absolutely not. Jesus wrote the, uh, the blueprint or the rule book on how to overcome temptation. And it's so simple, everybody can remember it. It is written. This stuff's not complicated. But for some reason we think if we have a head full of theology that we're going to be okay. I've already said this. I believe in theology. We need a good dose of it and we need to understand it. And there is a battle to be fought on that front. But brothers and sisters, the greater battle that needs to be fought is the, re- is the, is the resigning of ourself to the will of God. It's the picking up of our cross daily and following Jesus. It's that battle with self and the renunciation of sin. I think there's something obvious in the passage that sometimes gets overlooked in Matthew chapter 4, and I think you will see it as soon as I mention it. And that is when Jesus met Satan's temptation, it is written, did he have his scroll with him? He said, hang, did he say, hang on a second, let me pull my smartphone out. Let me find a Bible passage that's going to help me out here. Right? Oh, hang on, let me go to the rabbi and say, hey, rabbi, can you help me? What did Jesus do? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible implies it implic- or, uh, uh, clearly that Jesus memorized Scripture. There's no doubt about it. It's clear in the Bible passage that when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus readily was able to call into his mind the very passage that he needed to send Satan running. It was there. He had practiced with it. He had meditated on it. He had thought about these passages. Every temptation that Satan came, it is written, it is written, it is written. It didn't just happen by evolution. He spent time thinking about these passages of Scripture, meditating on them, using them, being familiar with them. And then when the temptation came, boom, he knew exactly how to meet it. That's the rule book. It's the blueprint. Bible memorization. We're not always going to have our Bibles. I read a book recently where the author was interviewing people who lived in persecuted parts of the world. And in China, they didn't have very many Bibles, so what they would do is they would, they would have one or two Bibles, and they would rip out books of the Bible, and they would disperse them out amongst all the church leaders. And they would take those books of the Bible, and they would go back, and they would memorize them. And then they would come back, and they would swap them out. (laughs) Does that put us to shame? 
You know the passage. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do we think we're going to do this any different way? The only sword, the only weapon that God has given to us is the word of God. How are we using it? How much time are we spending with it? Are you thinking about it as you go throughout your day? Are you using it when that battle comes, that temptation, whatever it is? Listen, you all know where your areas of weakness are. The Holy Spirit is faithful to show that to you. Are you finding Bible passages that will help you fight against that temptation? And then when that temptation comes, are you pulling them out like the samurai and get ready and say, are you really wanting to fight this battle, Satan? Bring it on. It is written. It's not going to happen any other way. Think about this if you would. You have five Bible passages that were memorized, and every good Adventist has more than five passages memorized. We might not know exactly where they are, but we have the general context understood. We've heard these passages so many times. If you have five Bible passages memorized, when that time of temptation comes, you will have five to seven minutes that you can put your mind on something else, good or bad. Is that good? Yeah, that's great. Have five to seven minutes that you can start thinking about the Word of God instead of the temptation that Satan is tempting you with. How do you think you would feel if you had a whole chapter memorized? You want a chapter? Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter to memorize. You have, a, you, have you know, five to ten minutes depending on how long the passage is, that you can just start thinking about the Word of God and putting your mind on something that is other than the temptation that is right in front of you. What if you had a whole book of the Bible memorized? You know, I think about this as like the samurai, right? He had three swords, a long one, a short one, and a small one, right? And the small one passage things, they're like the little daggers that you carry around with, them, you carry around with you everywhere. A chapter is like the medium-sized sword. And if you have a book of the Bible memorized, it's like, are you really wanting to do this, Satan? Sorry, I'm getting a little violent this morning, aren't I? You know what really puts us to shame are the Muslim people. The young men for a rite of passage will memorize the entire Quran. 30 books. 114 chapters, 6,336 verses. It will take them two to six years to memorize the entire Quran. Now, the New Testament is just a little bit longer than that, but it's roughly about the same size. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, those, those young people, they have young minds that can remember so well. Excuse. That's an excuse, right? That's Satan planting a thought in your mind that your brain is so weak that you can't retain the Word of God. Can you remember your address? Can you remember your phone number? Can you remember your social security number? Can you remember the faults of other people? Can you remember your own accomplishments? Then you can remember the Word of God. Two to five years they'll take to memorize the entire Quran. What are we going to do when we don't have the Bible? I pray that there'll be Adventists 
God's people that will be found with large portions of Scripture memorized so we can rewrite the Bible. I have a good friend. He destroyed his mind on recreational drugs, alcohol, just destroyed it. And then he met Jesus, the great transformer of lives. And as he gave his heart to the Lord and he began to study God's Word, this friend of mine became a powerful preacher for God because the Word of God has a healing power in it. It heals the mind. You might think that you have a weak mind, but if you start putting your mind to memorizing the Bible, you'll be able to do it. You all probably know Randy Skeet. He stands up here and he preaches without his Bible. I asked him one time, I said, how do you do it, man? He said, hard work. He said, I memorize when I'm brushing my teeth. I memorize when I'm shaving my face. I memorize when I'm eating my breakfast. I memorize when I'm going for my run. I memorize when I'm working out. I memorize all the time. It's hard work. But brothers and sisters, if it's something that we value, we will put time into it. It's interesting to me, people who train in the martial arts and self-defense, when they are attacked, they are able to respond reflectively. Have you ever seen that before? Right? They are trained. Martial arts and self-defense, they are trained that so when they are attacked, they don't have to think about what they're doing. They just do it. Right? Because their life might be at stake. And this is how it should be for us spiritually, like Jesus, that we've become so familiar with the Word of God that when the Satan attacks us, we don't have to think. We can just respond reflectively because we've spent so much time in the Word of God. I had a friend who was working with my dad. Uh, my dad was a, a roofer, and uh, this, this friend of mine from Malaysia, he, he came to work with my dad for uh, a summer. And, um, and, and this guy, before he had given his heart to the Lord, he was heavily trained in martial arts. He was an instructor, so he knew his stuff. But he had given his life to Jesus, and he was living a different life now. He wanted to be a minister for God. But he was working with my dad on the building site, and there was a young man by the name of Elvis. I don't know what his real name was, but that's what we called him. He was an electrician, I believe. But anyways, uh, Elvis was, he had heard that our friend had been trained in the martial arts. And he decided that he wanted to test him. And so Elvis, he hid in the doorway of one of the houses that, that we were working on. And, 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 and as our friend was walking past with tiles or whatever it was, as he was walking past, Elvis jumped out at him and scared him, and he just about got his head knocked off. Because our friend had been trained so much that in the moment, this is what you do. And even though he had given his heart to the Lord, he just reflectively responded in that way. And he felt so bad afterwards. But I want to tell you, Elvis never did that again. (laughs) And that's the way it should be for us. When Satan comes, boom, we know exactly how to respond. We don't have to wallow in our misery. We don't have to uh, pray in anguish. We don't have to talk to somebody else. But we've spent so much time in the Word of God for ourselves, reading, digesting, and, 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 and becoming skillful with it, that when Satan comes, we can reflectively respond, and he will run away and never come back again. (laughs) 
Lord, help us. Lord, help us. The Bible says this, Psalms chapter 51 and verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth. In the book of Psalms, the word truth is oftentimes equated with the word of God. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Where does God want to put truth? Inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Where does God want truth? In the inward parts. In the hidden parts. God wants His Word in us. Not outside of us. Not as some sort of fanciful theoretical thing. But He wants it inside of us. In our very being. Now, going back in your mind to the story of Jesus' temptation, you're familiar with it. Satan came to him with this question, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made into bread. Of course, we know that that first temptation was dealing with appetite, right? Adam and Eve fell in the area of appetite. Jesus had to overcome in the area of appetite. But before Satan even got to the the idea of turning stones into bread, he, he posed this doubt, if thou be the Son of God. So really the temptation was, are you really the Son of God? Look at you, man. You've been, you've been in the wilderness for 40 days. You've been fasting. You're emaciated. You're, you're hungry. You're weak. How could you be the Son of God if thou be the Son of God? Now, right before Jesus was tempted by Satan, of course, he was in the wilderness fasting and praying. But right before that, does anybody remember what happened? He was baptized. And if you read the tail end of Matthew chapter 3, as Jesus came up out of the water, what did he hear? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Those words were ringing in Jesus' ears, and Satan comes, if thou be the Son of God. I find that the first temptation was really over the authority of God's Word, as well as appetite. Jesus came back with the Word of God. He did not feel that there was a need for any exhibition of his sonship. God had already said that he was his son, and that was enough for him. He set his standard on the word of God. God said, I am his beloved son. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are saying. God said it, and that settles it for me. It's the rule book. Manuscript release, volume 7, page 357 says this, those who do not accept the word of God, key words here, just as it reads, will, not might, will be snared in his Satan's trap. Those who do not accept the word of God, just as it reads, will be caught in Satan's trap. Let's get practical here. How do we actually do this? How do I wield the sword? Let me give you a few examples here, and I hope that this will illustrate it for you very clearly. Say you are struggling in the battle with getting along with other people. Have you ever fought that battle before? Lord, help me. I'm fighting the battle of getting along with other people. God answers, and he says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. 
God answers and he says, not to render evil for evil. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God answers and he says, be kindly affectioned one to another in honor preferring one another. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Do you see how this is wielding the sword? God, I'm having a hard time getting along with others. Have a soft answer. I heard one amen. Do you think if you had a soft answer that maybe you might get along with other people better? Lord, I'm struggling with the battle of judging other people's motives. God answers and he says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31. God answers and he says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 5. How do we wield the sword of the Spirit? Lord, I'm struggling with the battle of retaliation against the attacks of other people who falsely accuse me. Lord, help me. He answers, who when he was reviled, reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges rightly by whose stripes you are healed. 1 Peter chapter 2, 23 and 24. Lord, I'm struggling with the battle of sexual lust. Help me. God answers and he says, look unto me and be ye saved. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. God says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. How do I wield the sword of the Spirit? This is how you do it. You find passages that specifically apply to whatever the battle is that you are struggling with. You know what it is. Are you on the lookout for those passages that are going to help you in that spiritual battle? Lord, I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with this battle of my temper. Now, for those of us fathers here on Father's Day, here's a little bit of advice. Men are known to have short fuses. God answers, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. When somebody is struggling with their temper, do they need peace? When somebody gets angry, do they need peace? How do I get peace? The Bible says, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. You see, men, when we're struggling with our temper, we need to get our minds off of whatever we're thinking about and start thinking about God. And he will give us peace. I struggle with it just like any other person does. How about this? He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth the spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 16, verse 32. This is wielding the sword of the Spirit. Lord, I'm struggling with fearfulness. The battle of fearing everything. God says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalms chapter 43 and verse, three, uh, verse 4. Catch it again. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. What's my part? Is my part to worry about the fears? My part is not to worry about the fears. My part is to not fixate <clears throat> on the fear. My, 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 my part is to seek the Lord. 
and then he will deliver me from my fears. How about this one? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's with us. We don't have anything to be afraid about. We're walking around holding our Heavenly Father's hand. That goes on. But you get the point. I must conclude. We've got to wrap this up because there's breakfast to be had. Great Controversy, page 594, says this. Uh, Just for those of you that may be interested, this comes from the chapter, Scripture's a Safeguard in the book Great Controversy. She says, before the crucifixion, the Savior explained to His disciples that He was to be put to death and to rise again from the tomb. The angels were present to impress His words on the minds and the hearts. What did Jesus teach His disciples? He was going to die and that He was going to rise again. The angels were there to impress those words upon the minds of the disciples. She goes on, but the disciples were looking for temporal deliverance from the Roman yoke. They could not tolerate the thought that he in whom all their hopes centered should suffer an ignominious death. The words which they needed to remember. What words did they need to remember? The words of Jesus were banished from their minds. And when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death of Jesus as fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not forewarned them. You need to go back and meditate on that thing because it's powerful. In my study of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus warned the disciples at least five times that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be crucified, and that he would rise again. But when that time came, And Jesus was betrayed and crucified. It was as if Jesus had said nothing to them. Why? Because they were thinking about their own thoughts. That he was going to become this great conquering Messiah who was going to set up his earthly kingdom. And they were busy fighting amongst themselves who would sit on his left hand and right hand. When they really needed to be listening to what Jesus was saying. She goes on. So in the prophecies of the future, or sorry, so in the prophecies, the future is open before us as plainly as it was open to the disciples by the words of Christ. The events connected with the close of probation and the work of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented. So she's clearly outlining, she's telling us here that the Bible clearly outlines Satan's strategy of attack. Amen? Amen? Praise God for Bible prophecy. He laid, God lays that out. This is what Satan is going to do. And if we take the time to study it, we'll actually be forewarned and prepared when that time of attack comes. Now she goes on and she says, but, <laughs> but, but multitudes have no more an understanding of these important truths than if they had never been revealed. Satan watches to catch away every impression that would make them wise unto salvation, and the time of trouble will find them unready. Whose example are we following? Are we following the example of Jesus? It is written. Or are we following the example of the disciples? This is what I think. Brothers and sisters, I think it's much more effective to fight with the sword of the Spirit than your little puny wooden swords. We spend time carving our little wooden swords out. 
We invest all of this time into building this beautiful sword that we think will help us when that time of attack comes. But brothers and sisters, God's word has been proven successful. It's time to say, all right, throw this sword into the fire. Let me take the sword of the Spirit because it's been proven to be a success. I leave you with these words, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Turn there with me if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Shall be where? What shall be in thine heart? These words. Now listen to what he goes on to say, verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. What is, what is Moses saying here? He's saying no matter what you are doing, take the Word of God with you. If you're walking around, take the Word of God with you. If you're sitting down, take the Word of God with you. If you're eating, take the Word of God with you. If you're laying down, take the Word of God with you. No matter what you are doing, take it with you. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Jesus read that Bible passage. And he obeyed it. And he took the word of God and he hid it in his heart. And when that time of attack came, Satan vanquished the enemy with three decisive blows from the spiritual katana. And Satan went fleeing from Jesus. That's what I want to have. That's the type of success that I want to have. Boom, 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 and Satan's gone. I'd like to do it in just one blow. But if Jesus did it in three, I know I'm not going to do it in any less. So I ask you the question this morning, what kind of Bible do you have? You have a dusty Bible? You know, it's the, it's the person who says, I know I need to have the Bible. So I'll have it there and it's kind of like a rosary. Good luck charm. Or do you have an emergency Bible? Oh, there's an emergency. Let me find out what the Bible says. Oh, thank you. You go back to your shelf now. Emergency's passed. Go back to my old way of living. Or do you have a tattered Bible? It may, it may look nice and new, but it's tattered because you've spent time with it. Not the way it looks on the outside, but the way it looks on the inside. I was doing a meeting in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, back when I was an evangelist with Amazing Facts, and there was a young lady that was coming to my seminar who I later on find out, found out was the granddaughter of E.A. Sutherland. Now, if you don't know who E.A. Sutherland was, he was the... Uh, champion of Adventist education. He set up Madison College down in Madison, Tennessee, wrote the book Living Fountains and Broken Cisterns. He was a tremendous mind in the Adventist church. 
So I was intrigued. You know, I started talking with her. And then she told me that she had her grandfather's Bible. I said, you're kidding me. You have your grandfather's Bible? I want to see it. Please bring it. So the next night, she brought it to the meetings. And I, I think I have a picture of it for you to see here. She brought it to the meetings. <clears throat> and as I looked at that Bible, I could see that this was a man who spent time in the Word of God. You see that thing? Every single page had a marking on it. And this was the extraordinary thing to me. As I looked in the flyleaf in the front of the Bible, I could see the date that he got that Bible. And I did the math from when he got the Bible to when he died. He was roughly 80 years old when he got that Bible. And that's what it looks like. That's a tattered Bible. That's a man who spent time with the sword of the Spirit. And if you read his writings, you can tell he was a man who was mighty in the Word. Brothers and sisters, the Bible does not describe a wartime part of life and a non-wartime part of life. We are soldiers and we must be equipped if we're going to be successful in this battle. Is it your desire this morning to say, Father, help me to be a spiritual samurai who's effective in meeting the attacks of the enemy. Amen? Let's pray for that this morning. Loving Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have given to us a weapon that has been proven to be a success. Father, we pray that you would give us strength and wisdom to know how to wield the sword of the Spirit, that we would follow Jesus' example and be mighty in battle. Bless us, Lord, as we make the commitment day by day to spend time with you and your word. Help us, I pray, to not allow that precious time to be stolen from us. Help us, Lord, to stop making excuses. But by your grace, start putting in the work of becoming spiritual warriors for you. Thank you, Father, that you see something valuable enough to invest in us in. May you guide us as we go through our day today. May you guide our conversations. May you guide our thoughts. May you help us to make wise choices in where we decide to spend our time. And may this camp meeting equip us as we go from here back to our fields of work. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org